Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Journalism. I'm David Schwartz from the University of Iowa School of Journalism and Mass Communication. In this episode, we hear from Erica King from Grand Valley State University. Her latest book, Obama, the Media, and Framing the U.S. Exit from Iraq and Afghanistan, is a detailed look at dueling rhetoric and narratives during this crucial point in American history, and what she found might just surprise you. Erica, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we get too much into the book, just give us a little bit of your background and and, uh, how you got to where your work is today. I'm somebody who has always been fascinated by the media. I grew up in a world of three television networks and a daily newspaper delivered to my family's door, a world that has long disappeared And I've been so interested in following the evolution of our contemporary media, how our media cover different kinds of events, the competition between media outlets, just essentially all things media. And then in the last few years, I've gotten increasingly interested not just in the content of media, but also the way that media content interrelates with the rhetoric of political elites, especially presidential rhetoric. And that's really been my focus in the last couple of decades of research. So, so the book, Obama and the Media and Framing the U.S. Exit from Iraq, and Afghanistan. How did this project come about for you? A colleague and I had already been looking at the Bush rhetoric and the relationship between what President Bush had to say about Iraq, what the rationale for Iraq was, what Iraq meant on the world stage, why we had to go to war in Iraq, and the intersection of that and what he called the war on terror, and then looking at the media response to Iraq and the war on terror. And really a natural outcome of that was then to look at the new president, President Obama, who had come to office as an ardent opponent of the Iraq war, but also somebody who said he was supporting what we were doing in Afghanistan, and really then attempting to see the intersection of his rhetoric, what in the world this new president had to say, would it be the same as what Bush was talking about? Would it differ? And most likely, how would it differ? But then how would the media receive this kind of information? And would the media representation of the war be something different? And that led me then to thinking about the fact that, oh, but wait, these two wars that Obama has inherited are supposedly coming to an end. And I thought, aha, what's fascinating is the fact that so much previous political science research has focused on the 
media and presidential interrelationship as we get into war and as war proceeds, but we haven't really done much focus on the end point, the conclusions of war. So that was the focus, because I thought here's a perfect opportunity. We are extricating ourselves supposedly from both of these wars. Here's a fascinating moment to look at that research question. So you're looking at sort of the end game here, how how the end was reached, and how it was framed and portrayed, and then reported. Um, how early in the book, there's a section on on the previous president George W. Bush. How how much and how little did you want to um, go backward and look at the previous president in terms of how necessary it was to then be able to look forward? I thought it was very important to look at what Bush had to say as he was preparing to and then actually leaving office because his rhetoric had so informed what America and so influenced what America thought about why we had first to fight in Afghanistan and then in addition why we needed to go into Iraq that I thought this had presented an underlying narrative, in its own sense, a complete frame of why America had to fight and what these both of these wars represented, that to do justice to Obama's representations, one really needed to do a bit of a review of what was going on with Bush. And I thought it was an interesting point that when Bush was leaving office, we also saw the implementation of his surge policy in Iraq. And that was his policy for saying how we could get ourselves in an honorable and uh, positive way out of Iraq. And I, but I thought we really need to lay the groundwork for understanding Obama and the endpoints in Iraq and Afghanistan. You've got to go back and look what, at what Bush was saying. Was there anything... Because um, we all bring our, our previous knowledge and biases to our research, um, in, in that in that early groundwork of research that you had done on the previous administration, was there anything that you had found that you were not aware of or that surprised you? I think that sometimes we all fall victim to our background perceptions, the things that we often take for granted. And one of the things that fascinated me with the Bush rhetoric was the pervasiveness of his narrative about why America had to fight, that it did infuse not just his own and his administration's and Republican rhetoric, but also the rhetoric of most of his Democratic opponents, and not all, but most of the elites and observers in the United States. And a lot of his rhetoric and rationale were quite different from what was being said in the rest of the world. But it really infused America's thinking on this. And actually, one of the things that really surprised me, not necessarily surprised me, but I found most intriguing as I looked at Obama's rhetoric was the parallels about the underlying rationale for war, that Obama, he doesn't necessarily adopt Bush's rhetoric. He tries to make it more nuanced and to change it somewhat. But a lot of his underlying assumptions remain quite similar to President Bush's. He disagrees with Bush more in the implementation of the war in Afghanistan, and he completely differs with Bush on the the rationale for the war in Iraq. But he's on the same page with Bush when he argues about why America had to fight in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks. So you used uh, the 
one of the methodologies you use is framing and, and framing can be used in different ways. How did you approach it in this book? Um, how, how did you approach framing? What I think of as a frame is a, a storyline, a narrative, an interpretation of an external event, an issue, or an individual. And in this case, I'm looking at a frame of an issue, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, how this is presented as a compelling tale, a complete tale with a beginning, a middle, and an end that presents a, a rationale, an overview, and gives a vision of what the event is all about. And in so doing, it, as researchers on the, the, in the world of framing, like Robert Entman and Lance, W. Lance Bennett have, have noted, you, you accept one interpretation, one vision of what an event means, and thereby you also end up rejecting or ignoring other possible interpretations and presentations of what that event represents. And I think one real interesting note you know, is crystallized within a, an individual. Almost, I tend to look at people in books as characters, even in, in nonfiction books, is, is General Petraeus. And under Bush, he was very much the savior. And then you have this little nugget farther back about how later on he is, is talking to the media, and even now his his how he's framing the war, how he's framing the efforts rather, have then really shifted under the different administration. Uh, General Petraeus is an interesting subject, of course, we now know, uh, speaking of his, the own, his own narrative, his own tale, it ended up quite differently than, than we all expected. But one of the fascinating things is the importance that he plays in Bush's frame of Iraq and how this becomes, and, and also the surge. I mean, he really becomes important for Bush's presentation of why, what the surge represents and why we must engage in the surge. And Petraeus then becomes the savior of the surge, the representation of the surge. And you're absolutely right. In the Obama narrative, and, and the media under Bush in 2007, especially, really play up the importance of Petraeus. And he becomes a, an important link into how Bush was able to present a successful surge narrative. And then he becomes much less of an important player only a couple of years later. He, before he leaves the, the, administ- the Obama administration and the, the Pentagon, he is still an important person, but not in terms of the narrative. So narratives shift, narratives come and go. Is you know, the tides flow and recede, to use an Obama uh, Obama analogy. <laughs> the book is Obama, the media, and framing the U.S. exit from Iraq and Afghanistan. And the first part of that title, Obama um, and the media, did do you find that there is some sort of an informal? Um, I don't want to say working relationship, but some sort of an informal narrative or framing relationship between Obama and the media or these mutually exclusive parties. I think that when you look at any president and the media, what you see is a very important relationship. Both the media and all its different outlets and the president need each other. Uh, what they need, the president needs the media to publicize and 
represent to the world what he's trying to say. The media, of course, need the president because he represents an enticing, personalized, and dramatic story. So no matter who the president is, I think there's always this fascinating interrelationship that also varies over the course of time. And there's a lot of research that talks about how this relationship develops and how it ends. I remember... uh, a very poignant, although amusing, comment that Clinton made early in his term. I think he came into office thinking that his relationship with the Washington press corps would be different from other people's. And then when he got very frustrated, he said in an aside to one of his advisors, where's my honeymoon? So every president expects certain a certain kind of relationship that they'll be the different one. They'll be the, the man on the white horse whom, whom the media just recognize as this all-important person and give lots of favorable publicity to. But media organizations are in the business of reporting news, and some of the most interesting news is when presidents run into trouble, and certainly Obama is no exception. You know, when he came to office, Republicans grumbled, oh, the liberal media love Obama. Well, I think anybody in the Obama administration would be sitting there uh, in the (laughs) five years since he has become president saying, this is not the case. This is a fascinating relationship of mutual need, and often the media just dumps on the president. From when he took office to whenever the point of your research ended, because it takes time for books to be edited and and then printed and when they come out, um, did you see any sort of a shift in how Obama was framing his uh, either the timeline for the drawback or how it would be implemented or anything else related to the drawback? Obama came to office with two ideas in mind. And one is, and, and they're related to each other with regard to the war, I think. One was that he wanted to end the war in Iraq as judiciously and quickly as possible. And he also wanted to do the same thing with Afghanistan. And he he wanted this to be a successful exit, but he also wanted it to be one that was done quickly. I think that like all other presidents, you come to office with ideas about what you can accomplish, and you meet the hard, cold face of reality in Washington, D.C. and beyond, and that is you can't accomplish all of these things on your own timeline or within your own particular narrative or frame. And I think that what happened to Obama in both Afghanistan and Iraq is he had continually to adjust, to to shift his narrative, to account for events and to make it understandable to the public why this wasn't proceeding in exactly an A, B, C, D, and here we are out of both of these wars process. And so he has to become more nuanced. But I, I think what's also fascinating is that in becoming more nuanced, I found that he also becomes more favorably disposed, not only toward Afghanistan, where he always said this was his war of necessity, but even more favorably disposed toward Iraq, his derided war of choice. He ends up 
creating a more nuanced portrait of Iraq that isn't uniformly negative. And he ends up, as we get closer to the end of combat operations in 2010, talking about Iraq as holding possibilities for democratic governance, for securing American uh, peace, not American peace, but world peace and a system that will allow countries to live together more peacefully in the Middle East. It is a more nuanced, different approach than what he began with. Why do you think that was? Why do you think Iraq shifted for him? I think that this is something, and here's one of the things I I was trying to figure out, why was this indeed the case? And I think that it is part of a presidential obligation, not just now, but in the past as well, to frame what it is a war means as we leave that war. What was it all about? Why did we fight? And I think what happens with presidents is that as we, in Obama's words, turn the page on something, I think it's it's just part of the American ethos. I think it's part of American political culture that even though it's something that didn't seem so positive at the moment, that our commander-in-chief works to put a more positive interpretation on it. So he's cautiously optimistic, and that cautious optimism infuses his discourse on Iraq as well as Afghanistan. And I just think it's part of what the commander-in-chief believes he needs to do. And I think it's something that the media and the public also understand. Although what I find is, and I think my most interesting finding is that in both the case of Afghanistan and Iraq, the U.S. media were not nearly as optimistic as the president was. The media end up giving the more uh, hard reality kind of interpretation that, oh my goodness, we're not reaching democratic governance in either of these two countries. We've got corrupt inept officials. Uh, The portrayal of Karzai is extremely harsh, but so is the portrayal of the ruling elite in Iraq that we supposedly supported. The portrayal in the media of both of the the status of both Iraq and Afghanistan economically and politically is far less positive in the media. So what's interesting is we see media independence exerting itself to some extent, even at the end of the war, where I had actually expected that media organizations might just come together in a more kumbaya moment and say, yes, uh, as the president says, we we tried to accomplish many things. It wasn't perfect, but it's better now than when we got in to both these conflicts, and the media weren't quite so accepting of that more optimistic depiction. It really flies in the face of the idea that media are complicit in whatever a president's whims of war might be. Yes, and I I think that what, for future research, what we need to examine more is the stages of the relationship between presidential discourse and media reaction over 
the entire course of a conflict because what research tells us and what was also true for Iraq and Afghanistan is you go in with patriotic fervor, but then if reality doesn't fit with the the rhetoric of this is what we've accomplished or are trying to accomplish, the media become more negative. They they turn to actual events, not just presidential reassurances. And I think this is particularly true when a war is protracted and there isn't a neat and tidy end point. And by the way, that's something that from the very beginning, President Bush said, this is not going to be a neat and tidy end point to this conflict. And Obama uses almost exactly the same words as Bush does throughout throughout his, his discourse. So I think we need to do a lot of investigation about the, the course of a war, especially if our future wars are not going to be the tidy end point type of war. And I would think someone like you who grew up really enjoying and appreciating journalism and media, it must have been something heartening about seeing that there was some resistance still within media, that it wasn't uh, simply, okay, well, write whatever you want us to write, that there was actually some effort there to, to push back on what was being, what was attempted to being framed to them. I think that what we have learned, I and many, many other researchers on the contemporary media, is that they're also a very complex set of organizations and that are what I'll call the mainstream media, the organizations that hire and continue to use professional journalists well-trained in the field of journalism and writing, that these are independent professionals who believe that it is their duty not simply just to parrot what the president says. And one of the new, I studied five news organizations, the, the New York Times and the Washington Post are two big national politically oriented newspapers. I also studied the Associated Press because their stories get into newspapers across the United States and the world. And also NBC News News at the time that I was doing the study, the most, the news network with the highest audience, and Fox News as well. And what was also interesting to me is Fox News was far less of an outlier than one might have predicted. Its way of depicting both of these conflicts was had far more similarity than differences to its other four compatriots in, in, in the media and also wasn't simply parroting Bush's lines or criticizing Obama's frame. That there again, you have independent journalists in the field getting their own information it's called event-driven news and coming up with their own conclusions and not being at all shy about doing this, especially in the months and years after we initially go to war. There's a section or a chapter in here called Wars Drawdown Through the Censorious Media Lens. Just take us through uh, just the, uh, the theme of that section. This chapter refers to the five media organizations' reactions to the end of combat operations in Iraq. And one might have thought, but one would be wrong, that at this point, because this was in a contentious, divisive war, that at this point, media organizations might just come together and say, yes, uh, Iraq was a difficult war, but we've accomplished something, and now 
it's over, things can be seen in a slightly positive light. But I found it very interesting that journalists for these national media organizations used Obama's moment in the sun talking about the end of combat operations in late August of 2010 to present some very negative outlooks about what Iraq had represented to talk about how many of them felt culpable in their early interpretations and support of the Iraq war. So so very censorious, talking about how we weren't establishing a democracy. What had this war really accomplished? And even Fox News found it difficult to put a positive spin in many regards on the whole meaning of why we had fought in Iraq and, and what the war was all was all about. And it was almost like a, a self-flagellation among some of, of these journalists. And then talking about the flawed legacy and a lot of attention paid to then Secretary of Defense Roberts' comment that Iraq will always be remembered for it's it's flawed beginning, clouded by its its beginning through the false uh, reports of WMD, which is which is just so interesting that um, instead of you know originally I was thinking there's the transition of the rhetoric from one president to the next, and now you're seeing the rhetoric. Um, well, the term you used was uh, one term you used was rhetorical weapons, but now you see the rhetoric being used against a previous administration. Used against the previous administration, yes, but also media and you. And so I, I think we're not even talking necessarily about rhetorical weapons here being used against somebody because what Obama is doing by the end of Iraq is saying, and this is the word he uses, he doesn't want to re-litigate. Iraq. He wants to turn that page. Yes, almost in the passive tense, mistakes were made, but here are the possibilities. Here's our optimistic future. So in a sense, he he doesn't want to excoriate the previous administration, Um, but the journalists tend to want to do this more, although some of them are excoriating the way in which Obama is, is handling the exit from Iraq as well. The journalists are just far more negative negative and foreboding and have a darker vision of all of this. So there are, <clears throat> excuse me, there are several uh, times in which you describe different types of narrative. And there are three that I want to go through and I will mention it. Uh, and you just sort of describe what it means in terms of how it was that you were looking at it overall. The, there was the presidential narrative, the narrative of war and the oppositional narrative. And there are others, but those are the three that really stood out to me at least. Um, when you talk about the narrative of war, What do you mean? What I mean is when a country goes to war and engages in a war, there is a narrative about why we must fight. We think about all of America's past wars pre-9-11, and there is a narrative about what the war represents. Why must this country get involved in a war? Sometimes it's because the country was attacked. Sometimes it's because we're taking proactive measures against being attacked. Sometimes it's defending allies. But beyond that, there's, there's a wider narrative about what America represents and America's place in the world 
And I use the, the term that others have used also, the vision of American exceptionalism, that this country represents something better and different than any other nation in the world, both currently and historically, and that we have a duty to serve as a model, but also to lead others. And this gets infused into all the rhetoric of why America fights. So it's the the rhetoric that seeks to explain and to justify what war is all about. And then there is the presidential narrative. How does that differ from the... um can, can, is the narrative of war can that can that be part of a presidential narrative or are those separate things and I'm just confused? I think those two things join together. There can be different narratives about why we fight. So, for example, in some other conflicts, let's just randomly pick Vietnam. There was a presidential narrative, but there was also a wider Cold War narrative about the domino effect of communism, that if you allow one country to fall to communism, other countries will fall as well. And that wasn't Lyndon Johnson's sole contribution. It was a a wider narrative that had been in existence for a number of years before we got ourselves into Vietnam. And it's a narrative that Kennedy accepted as well. So, So you can have a societal narrative of war. And then a president also, the president who's responsible either for getting us into the war or continuing the war and attempting to get us out of the war, then a president also picks up on certain aspects of that narrative and can turn it and move it in one direction or another. And then there's the opposition to the president, which may be one unified opposition or a bunch of of different opposing voices that have their own rationale, their own justification, their own interpretation, perhaps their own criticism. And then you also get the media narratives. So there are a whole set of narratives from a general societal overview to political, differing political narratives, and then to a media narrative. And then the oppositional narrative, is that where media come in or is that elsewhere? It can be both. The oppositional narrative can come from other political voices it that are actually official voices. So, for example, Congress or, say, the, the, either the Republicans or the Democrats in Congress. But as in the case of Vietnam, it can also come from wider society, like the, the protest movements of, against further involvement in Vietnam. And it can come from the media as well. So you can have an oppositional narrative that's very unified, but being represented by different voices, or you can have a number of different oppositional narratives. Where would you like to see this book uh, placed in future research? So future scholars come up and, and they're looking at similar issues. How, how does your book inform what they might be doing? What I would like to see future researchers do is a more quantitative analysis. What I was attempting to do here is a very qualitative analysis that looks very closely at the words, the discourse of the president, and then the words and interpretations of the media. And I'm just doing a case study of the 60 days surrounding the 
two big addresses to the nation that Obama gave about Afghanistan in December of 2009 and about Iraq in August of 2010. So I'm really just doing a case study. And I think there's a lot more to be done on widening that and putting it into a bigger context and using a lot more statistical and quantitative research that can take into account a lot more instances and a lot more data. So the book is done finally and it's out. Uh, What is next for you? I, with a colleague of mine, am starting an investigation of media portrayals of President Vladimir Putin. And (laughs) we decided to enter this interesting uh, academic enterprise about eight months ago, long before the Ukrainian situation just erupted onto the scene. So I think what we have is an opportunity to, in this case, we're going to do a both a qualitative but also a, a more quantitative and a more uh, extended time horizon for looking at something. But I, uh, and again, the interactions between the U.S. and this very, I think, intriguing leader of Russia. So I think there's just one of the things about doing research on the media and uh, presidential or other elite discourse is there are always topics to be had. You can either go back in time, you can do more comparative analyses, or you can move forward in time. It's just a, a perfect occasion to keep spreading your intellectual and analytical wings. Well, the current book is fascinating. It's Obama, the media, and framing the U.S. exit from Iraq and Afghanistan. And Erica, thank you for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. As always, thanks for listening to New Books and Journalism, part of the New Books Network. You can find Obama, the media, and framing the U.S. exit from Iraq and Afghanistan, written by Erica King, at Amazon and other retailers. <laughs>